This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, we are going to jump back into a series that we started several weeks ago. And uh, I I guess uh, I should uh, mention a couple of things. Uh, The... uh, We had a couple of weeks of starting the new year. We talked about decision-making, personal decision-making, corporate decision-making. Before that time, we were studying the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, it's a series that we've entitled, A Beautiful Mess. Because that's exactly what the church in Corinth was. A beautiful mess. And if you know anything about the New Testament, if you know anything about this church, well, let's kind of review for a second, shall we? What we learned when we first started this series was this city, the city of Corinth, on the, uh, the Greek isthmus there, right near the Mediterranean, it was a slick, cosmopolitan happening place for its day. It was, it was cool. It was like Miami Beach. Okay? It was like Laguna Beach. It was like, uh, it was like, like cool on cool. <coughs> Sophisticated, educated, gifted, uh, wealthy. Um, just They were just... They were so busy with all of the things that they had going for them that actually Paul had a hard time getting their attention and sharing the gospel. But when Paul went there, he worked hard. He shared the gospel and people began to respond in the city of Corinth. And the, the church was birthed. He worked so hard to get them started. But then along the way, something went wrong and they stalled. So, I'm just wondering, have, have any of you ever had something that stalled? Like maybe a vehicle? Uh, no, that's not me. But, uh, but I know exactly what that feels like. I had a 1968 VW Vanagon van. And uh, it was a great little van every time we were going flat or downhill. Now, I grew up in Florida, so there weren't many uphills. I was doing okay. But when I was take a long road trip, and that thing would get kind of hot. It's an engine, uh, air-cooled engine, of course. And as I'm zipping along, and all of a sudden I'm pulling onto an interstate, an on-ramp where it's kind of a climb, and you can hear this thing. And then right about mid, mid-ramp, It was just the sound of the wheels rolling. You'd be like, go, go. this happened so frequently that, uh, well, I can't tell you all of the impact in my life, but it happened all the time. And it got to the point where you, you almost had to count on it stalling. If you've ever had something that you were counting on getting you there and having it stall, I think you can imagine perhaps Paul, some of Paul's feelings. He, he had launched this church, they began well. And now they're running into some problems. You see, what what was supposed to happen was that this group of believers, they were supposed to influence their culture with the values of the gospel. As they were planted right in this cosmopolitan city, in their dealings and interactions with others, they were there to give the gospel to others. But instead of influencing and affecting their culture, with the values of the gospel, they were letting 
the values of their culture influence their church. Now, when Paul started this letter, and let's kind of do a quick review here. You see, he opened his letter by addressing them in a way that was kind of surprising. He said that they were sanctified. He said that they were called to be holy. He's describing them as believers. And of course, some of those terms we found ironic, considering some of the behavior that they were involved in. He said, as the, as the, as the letter got started, he said that they, were, they had been enriched. That they had special speech talents. They, were, they, had, they had knowledge. They had spiritual gifts. In fact, and remember, this is a place where you know, everybody was a star. And he was telling them, you are enriched. You are blessed. You are talented. You are special. The ironic part about that is that if that were all true, then they had everything they needed to grow spiritually. And yet they were not growing. Paul also says in the beginning of the book that he is confident that the work that God has begun doing among them, he will finish. That one day they are going to be presented blameless on the day of judgment. It's an interesting comment. They are going to be blameless on the day of judgment. You see, it's kind of a two-sided coin, isn't it? Blameless. They're going to stand before God blameless. That would be a comfort, especially to believers who weren't really living in the way that they knew they had been called to live. So to have this assurance that you're going to stand blameless one day, what a comfort. And yet, what day will that be? And implicit in this blessing... And this comfort is also a warning. I am positive you guys are going to be who God wants you to be in the end. That's comforting. But there will be a day when you are called upon to explain yourselves. There's the warning. So in light of all these benefits, in light of all these things that were so true of the believers in Corinth, of this, the members of this church... He jumps into chapter 2 and, and he starts out by, now he, he just, he's got to tell them like it is. He's, he's heard all these reports about how they've been behaving and he gets right to the point. He says, you guys have got to stop picking sides. Remember that, if you know anything about the book or if you remember the, sto the series, that they were all picking sides. They all had their favorite teacher. Well, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. You know. I, I follow Peter. I follow Jesus. I mean, and, they were, and the whole group, instead of being really united around the gospel, seemed to be divided over their favorite teachers and their favorite little groups. And so Paul made it clear. He said this, this prideful posturing about their preferred patriarchs. By the way, I mean, are you guys impressed by that? I mean, you see the alliteration there? You realize I had to go to school for years to learn to do that? Prideful posturing over preferred patriarchs. I mean, you know. Okay, not so much. Not so much. Yeah, that's why we're here. Yeah, bring me down. All of this division, all of this favorite this, favorite that, not them, I'm one of them, all of that stuff was actually showing the fact that they were not living the life that they were called to live. That wasn't what church was supposed to be. Uh, some of us, 
could use that reminder today. Some of you have experienced church life when it seemed like most of the energy around church was all about whose turf you were on or whose turf was on. It's not uncommon, but it's unspiritual. So he says these kind of attitudes demonstrate that you've accepted the world's values instead of the values that are found in the gospel message. And then he starts to talk a little bit about why they have all these divisions. Why are they not behaving in a way that honors the gospel? And what we saw last time is that they had a faulty idea of the gospel message. They kind of had this idea about what Jesus said and what they were supposed to do as followers. They had this idea that it started with the message that Jesus died for your sins. Maybe that's news to some of you. You see, God's perfect. We're not. Our sin separates us from Him. But Jesus came as the perfect Lamb of God. When He died on the cross, He made the payment for our sins. And now the barrier has been removed. God offers eternal life to anyone who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. We receive it by faith. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you died for me just because you love me. And, and so I, I'm trusting you as my Savior. That's how they started, just like you and I. But then something happened. That was kindergarten. That was first grade. Now they were getting more sophisticated. They were getting more complicated. They were getting more intelligent. They were getting slick. They were getting impressive. They were promoting themselves. Everybody trying to show up. See, they thought that the gospel that Paul preached was kind of, kind of infantile. And that there were bigger things after that. And now they were obviously into the bigger things. And they even began to look down on Paul. He kept sharing the same little gospel, the same little message, that old tired message. And so they kind of thought they'd moved on. They were better than that. And Paul had to set them straight. He said, this gospel that I preached, it does sound like foolishness. Think about it. How many people do you know that assume that God loves good people? He's mad at bad people. And you and I have this job of trying to be as good as possible so he's not mad at us. That makes sense to me. It would make sense that you would say, well, God loves people, but they better behave. Otherwise, he's not going to give them eternal life. And so he holds it like a stick. Like, uh, 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 uh. Otherwise, people would live any way they want. It makes sense that we have a personal belief to ourselves. Well, that works for me. But... It's just not right to push it on other people. I mean, what works for me may not work for you. Everybody has their own way. All roads lead to God. You know, as long as you're sincere. And they have begun to develop all these other ideas to go along with the gospel. Because the gospel itself sounded kind of childish. I'm a sinner. Jesus died for me. There's nothing I can do to earn eternal life. I have to accept it as a gift. That's the only thing I've got. Well, who wants to do that? Who wants to be a loser? No, see, I'm moving on. I'm moving up. I'm, I'm being more impressive. And Paul says, you guys, you don't understand. 
God doesn't choose you because of your great performance. He chooses you because Jesus made the payment for yourself. He says, think about it. You yourselves are not the kind of people that the world that you're trying to impress would pick. I can relate to that. We've all spent time in our lives trying to impress people that we wish would accept us. It makes no sense because we don't like those kind of people. We don't want to be like them and yet we want them to accept us. And so we're caught. Paul says, you guys notice that you weren't the kind of people they would pick in the first place? Why are you chasing after them? You see, you misunderstood the gospel. That's why this wisdom of God, the gospel, sounds foolish to them. He says, but in essence, it's not actually foolishness. The message that I bring, and he says, when I came to you, I was humble. I didn't use big words. I wasn't trying to be impressive. I came weak so that the gospel could look strong, which is one of the issues they had. Well, that's Paul. He's like, no, 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 no. It's the same thing. Oh, it's just Jesus and the cross and nothing else. Come on, move on. He says, I came to you small and weak. But the message I preached, even though it sounds foolishness to the world, and now he's getting to where we are today. Don't make the mistake of thinking that it is actually foolishness. You see, God does this. His wisdom looks like foolishness. If you're adopting the world's values the way that they think, it's going to sound foolish. But don't make any mistake. This is wisdom. But to be fair, you have to have the decoder ring. I used to dig through boxes of cereal. One of the biggest disappointments in my life as a child was to get to the, down into that cereal and find out that they gave you a little book. You ever get those? Those little books. What? What kind of prize is a little book? Okay. Give me a decoder ring. Give me something that flies or buzzes. Or you well, you see, Paul says, if you don't have the decoder ring, if you don't have the key to understanding the message of God, the wisdom of God, then it won't make sense to you. And that decoder ring is the Spirit of God. So that's why the world out there, when they hear the gospel that makes so much sense to us, they hear it and they laugh and scoff and they go, what? It's because they don't have the Spirit. The Spirit of God is the one who gets the content of the wisdom of God into our minds and hearts. And that's how he ends up where he is today. And he turns to them and he goes, speaking of not having the Spirit... You guys are acting in ways that lead me to believe you don't have spirit. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible near you, there's a little blue hardcover Bible uh, there, probably on a table near you, or we're going to project it up here. And what I'd like to do is read these first three passages, these first three verses together, kind of together out loud. So I'm going to invite you to stand up, and we're going to read this passage together. 1 Corinthians 3. Verses 1 through 3. Let's read. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready, 
you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Thanks, you can be seen. Now in Colossians chapter 1, we looked at this several weeks ago, and over and over again, it's a core verse, a core passage for us. In Colossians 1, Paul made it clear what his goal was as a leader of the church. He made it clear what the goal of every church should be. Starting in verse 28 of Colossians 1, he says this, He is the one that we proclaim, meaning Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Paul's goal was to present every believer mature in Christ. So you'll understand why Paul is a little energized about the Corinthian believers. You see, his purpose was to present them mature, but they were not maturing. This is an epic fail for Paul. He planted this church, and now they have stalled. It's an epic fail, since his main goal was to present them mature. Now, in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, we saw that Paul was basically explaining that there's two groups of people. There are natural man, people who are not believers, don't have the spirit. And they're the ones that the gospel sounds silly to, sounds crazy to. And then there are the spiritual ones, the ones who have the spirit. They are the ones who have responded to the gospel, two categories of people. Now starting in three, he's introducing an idea that actually is a little bit disturbing. He's introducing a third category of people. Oh, there are natural, and then there are the ones filled with the Spirit. And then there's this group sort of in between. He calls them carnal or fleshly. Think about the, the descriptions that we've already seen. I could not address you as those who live by the Spirit. You are still worldly. Worldly, the word is actually has to do with flesh, like, like meat, which makes sense. You've got flesh and bone versus the spirit. There's kind of a contrast there. Certainly still a connection with world system, but worldly is really the word fleshly. So on your own versus on the spirit, that's the contrast. You're mere infants. You're not ready. You're still not ready. You're still worldly. You're mere humans. <clears throat> He's saying, something is wrong with you. Let's look at how he describes them in just a few minutes. First, he says, he calls them fleshly, not spiritual. You see, the natural man only has the flesh. Before you and I trusted Christ, we only had what we came with, what we were born with. This intellect, this temperament, these skills and abilities, this is all I've got. And what we learn from the Bible is that this set of equipment comes broken. It can't please God. The very best it can do is, is try to <coughs> promote itself. And it always fails. Which is why Jesus died. When he died, he took care of the flesh problem. In a sense, he killed the bad stuff and planted new stuff. Look at Galatians 5.24. In Galatians 5, Paul is again addressing a different, addressing a different church. And he's explaining this idea of the flesh versus the spirit. He says, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
So what he's saying in one sense is those who put their faith in Jesus, and if you're here today and you put your faith in Jesus, he's talking about you. He's saying those who put their faith in Christ have killed off, <coughs> crucified. What a, what a powerful image, right? <coughs> Considering it's Jesus who did the first, who made the atonement. Crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. But if that's true, and let me, okay, you, you've trusted Jesus, and it says those who've trusted Jesus have crucified their passions. Anybody got a problem with that? Oh, you, you've all experienced that all of your passions and fleshly desires have been crucified. Yeah, I didn't think so. Me either. How do we explain it? The answer is found throughout the scripture, we don't have time this morning, except let me just give you these, the sense of there are three tenses of salvation. Remember, God is functioning outside of time. All of time to God is like, God. I mean, he's away. And he can come and go in it, whatever. Pick whatever science fiction movie you like best. Okay? It's a common theme. But that's how God lives and exists outside of time. So when he saves somebody, he saves them in all the tenses, all the times. So when, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all of our sins. At that moment, how many of your sins were, for, were future? All of them. We weren't even born. But when you trusted Christ as your Savior, the sins that you have, had committed, they were in your past. And Jesus paid for them. All that stuff that had piled up, he cleared away. Because Jesus took care of your sin problem, he also takes care of your future. He says your future tense is assured. That's what he was saying to the Corinthians. You are assured. I've given you my life. You will be with me in heaven someday. Past tense. Future tense. In the middle is this thing of present tense. The Bible, one of the terms we use is sanctification. All present tense salvation is, all, of, all sanctification is, is the same work that was past or future. But now God does it in time. What does that look like? On either end, it looks like it's instant. Boom! Done. But now in life, in time, it's almost as though God could slow down the movie. Now you're watching it in slow motion. What does it look like when a person goes from being spiritually dead to coming to faith, to growing to become more Christ-like, walking with Him and serving Him, and then eventually being completely made like Christ before God in heaven. Well, if you slow that down enough, you can stretch that process out to 60, 70, 80 years. And that's what we call present tense salvation. That's what's happening to you and I who have put our faith in Jesus. The thing that God makes look instant from His perspective is also happening in real time. And so there's a past tense sense, a future tense sense, and then there is this present tense, when God is working these things out. And in that present tense, it's almost like this kind of in-between world. So, positionally, that flesh has been done away with. And yet, it still happens to be rattling around in this old body. And the spirit has been planted and now suddenly both are existing at the same time in the same place. 
And what do you suppose that does? Well, Paul mentions it in, in uh, Galatians again. Look at verse 17 of Galatians 5. He says, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are, you do, you, you are, you are not to do whatever you want. There's a conflict going on inside every single believer. If you say no, the Apostle John says, you're lying. We all know it. We all feel it, don't you? Now, some of you have been feeling it. You thought something was wrong. You were broken, and so you hide it. Luckily, we don't do a lot of hiding here. Every believer feels this battle. It's a conflict. It's not a conflict between good and evil, God and the devil. That's done. That battle was over at the cross. The battle is in our hearts because God allows us to be involved in that process, present tense. Our choices, our desires make a difference. And because of that, a battle can rage in the hearts and lives of believers. In verse 13 of Galatians 5, he says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. And he's describing this this freedom of choosing to do anything God wants you to do. But he says, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Apparently, in this present tense, although we've been given the Spirit as believers, our flesh has not been completely eradicated, and we apparently can either choose to follow Christ, or we can choose to indulge our flesh. We have been given that choice. And it is because of that kind of choice that Paul describes the believers in Corinth as being fleshly. Now, what's the difference? I mean, can we just be honest? Every single person here who's a believer, and if you're not a believer, you're allowed to just ignore me when I talk to you. That's okay. We're really glad you're here. We were all explorers and seekers at one point. I'm glad you're here. But if you put your faith in Christ, we all know that we're all carnal to some extent, right? We all struggle with passions and desires that don't honor Christ. We all make poor choices. What's the difference between struggling as a Christian and being fleshly? I mean, you hear him. He's not saying, hey, you guys are struggling a little. No, he's saying, no, I'm going to put a label on you. Fleshly. You are flat out acting worldly. What's the difference between struggling with sin, which we all do, and being labeled by the Apostle Paul, Fleshly. What's the difference between those two? I was hoping somebody knew. I have no idea. No, actually, I think you do. You already know. It's not some deep theological idea. You know. Let me explain. Um, There have been times when someone in your family or someone in close to you or a co-worker asked you a question, and you were kind of having a bad day, and, and without thinking about it, you, you responded in a snippy way. <sighs> you've done it. I get the calls, I know, you've done it. <laughs> we all do that. <clears throat> That's one thing. But perhaps you've had this experience, when it's, it's a bad day, it's a bad week, and it's not just one response that's snippy. I just, today I heard three different stories about people who were interacting with people, screaming, yelling, or saying, that's a terrible week, right? And it just comes and comes and comes. And, and, 
And it doesn't take long before we either think it or say it. If somebody in your family is doing that, you get the point and you stop and you say, why are you so grumpy? You see, it's not just one little snip. It's snip after snap after bite after tuck. And it doesn't take long before we know it's perfectly appropriate to label this. You're grumpy. My usual response is, I'm not grumpy. <laughs> See, we all know what the difference is between an occasional struggle and something that becomes a habit. You already knew that. What's the difference between occasionally struggling with sin and being fleshly? It's simple. The, the, the habit of indulging the flesh has become a pattern of behavior. It's just that simple. It's not just an occasional thing. It's not just a once in a while. It's a daily habit. If somebody was following you, if we were videoing you, we could just go, tink, 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 tink. You would think you were training to be an Olympic grumpy person. <laughs> Taking grumpiness to a whole new level. Taking indulging the flesh to a whole new level. Now, you'd hate to say it. You'd never, oh, no, 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 no. See, I sprinkle in God things. I mean, I'm here. And yet, if we looked close, the difference is that the flesh, the worldly, have become, have been, developed a pattern of fleshly behavior. So he says that they're fleshly, not spiritual. Secondly, he calls them babies in Christ. Babies in Christ. He says in verse 2, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. And then he goes on to talk about milk and meat. We, we all understand the whole baby picture. What exactly is, does he mean when he says, I gave you milk? What is spiritual milk? Open the, your Bible to Romans chapter 5. I, I think it's pretty simple. When he's talking to them about when he was first there, he gave them milk. He's talking about when he planted the church, when he first led them to the Lord. What did he give them when they first came to the Lord? He gave them the gospel and told them about the blessings connected with knowing Christ. That is what you share with those who don't know Christ. It's all about being justified, about being made right with God. Romans 5 says this, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. He says, I gave you milk. I gave you the stuff that you give babies. And, and I want you to understand, he's not mocking them for that. He's not saying it was wrong to give you milk when you were a baby. But the, issue, the problem he has is, by now you should not be on milk. You should no longer be needing just milk. So milk is simply the stuff that is the gospel and the blessings of the gospel. So what's meat? Well, you see, after somebody hears that Jesus died for them, that he offers eternal life as a free gift, and that... Accepting, eternal, accepting Him as your Savior means the Spirit takes up residence and there are blessings associated with knowing Christ. That's all great, but after that comes a message of not just justification, but sanctification. Things that are connected with moving forward in your walk with Christ. Look at Romans chapter 12. Uh, some of you, this is a familiar passage, starting, but we'll look at verse 2. In Romans 12, 2, Paul wrote this. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be 
transformed by the renewing of your mind. What he's talking about is eating meat. Digging into the stuff that moves you on beyond the baby stuff. Listen to Colossians 3. Again, here Paul's writing a different church, the church in Colossae. But he's laying out what it means to go forward in your faith besides just knowing you're going to heaven someday. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. You hear the activity? That's action, verb. You set your heart. See where, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. You say, put your mind on the things that have to do with Christ. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Look at verse 8. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Notice, at first he's talking about outward behaviors. Now he's talking about attitudes inside. Verse 9, don't lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Being renewed. Being transformed. All of these ideas have that same thing at the core. A progress, a progression, a development. It's not a simple product. It's a process. Now what's really interesting about all this is that the Corinthian church, when they first came to faith, they were, in fact, even now, they were alive. They were exercising spiritual gifts. They were having theological debates. They were having, they were training, and, and I mean, they were actually quite active. But there was something wrong, and whatever was wrong made them sort of stall. They were, they were staying like babies. Now, babies are cute. Okay? Wait, I mean, we would know. I mean, because right here, we're making babies like them, right? I mean, I, I, I'm going to start, like, I almost have to, at the door, I have to stop and say, hi, anybody get pregnant this week? Yeah, I mean, it's just, I, what is with you guys? Get a, t get a TV or something, okay? Man. <laughs> you know, babies are cute, okay? Babies are cute. Adult babies are gross. <laughs> These are not Halloween costumes. I don't know if you've seen some of these TLC shows, but there are people, there are adults who are so twisted that they want to stay a baby. Okay. These are the best ones I can pick up. I, started, I, I was like dry heating after a while. I was disgusting. Okay. That man should not ever let that part of his body show. Um, you see, Paul is saying, look, when you started out, of course I fed you milk, and, that, and it was okay. But by now, you should not be in diapers. By now, you should not be sucking a bottle. By now, you can move on. He's not scolding them so much as he's saying, why would you? I mean, you would pass on a porterhouse and suck on a bottle? Why? Now, Paul said something very similar to this in Hebrews. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. He said this. And we have much to say, verse 11, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. 
In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Interesting. Righteousness. What he means is becoming more like Jesus. But solid food is for the mature, those who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So here's the point that I think we want to close with this morning, and that's that there is, believe it or not, a kind of a normal, natural, developmental process in the life of a believer. There's a normal process, just like if, if, you, if you've ever had children or you see kids, it, especially if you've got young kids, it's kind of funny. Now ours are all grown. They're adult children. Emphasis on children. No, I'm just kidding. Sometimes, some these days, I'm seeing the videos and they kill me. Um, but you see, if you've got young kids, you're in the store and you say, oh, what is she, about 18 months? Bam, just right. I usually get that wrong. So I just say, oh, nice child. Boy, girl. I mean, I don't. But see, if you know children, you know that there's a normal progression. When you go to a doctor, what do they do? Uh, yeah, about right. They know what a child should be doing at this stage. They, the same, believe it or not, is it, is, it, is it surprising to know that the same is true of spiritual progress? The same is true of spiritual people moving along? That there's a normal stage, normal development. We don't have time today to unpack it, but I'm going to suggest a few ideas for you. When people start, let's call them seekers. Okay? So when, when someone starts, like many of us, see, Jesus is interesting, this gospel is interesting, maybe it's not what I thought, there's a need in my life, or, or this is... And, and seekers begin. And they respond to the good news. They become spiritually alive. Who does that sound like? A baby. A baby being born. They're born from above, John says. That's what happens to seekers. Once they're born, that means that they are infants. In infants, it's a time of discovery. They learn from others. They learn new things. Like, I, I bounce down the stairs, or whatever it is. Like, they learn new truths. They pick up new habits. If you've, if you've got a baby at home, you know what it's like. I mean, they are changing every day. Every time I FaceTime with my granddaughter, I'm thinking, wait, what happened? When did she start doing that? That's what happens in the lives of infants. Eventually, they become children. Children should no longer be infants. When they are still infants as children, it's a heartbreak. We're brokenhearted by those who still need to be changed and still need to be fed. Children begin growing in relationships. They begin to start to be able to take care of themselves. They start to move from being self-centered to being other-centered. Wait, you've got young children at home. How many times are like, now how do you suppose that made him feel? No, no, that's his, not yours. Right? It's all about learning how to relate to themselves and to others. They grow in their love for God. They grow in their love for others. They learn to serve. They, they, they learn, like, this is fun to serve others. That's what happens in spiritual children's lives. Children hopefully become young adults. And young adults spiritually are growing in a Christ-centered, as Christ-centered servants. They realize this isn't about me, this is about others. And they're starting to serve in ways that really kind of shine Jesus through. They're more consistent in their godly character. Not perfect, not by a long shot. 
But, but they're getting more consistent. They actually make it to church on time. Did I say that out loud? More godly stewardship. They start to realize that their stuff isn't their stuff. It was given to them for a reason. Greater dependence on the Spirit of God. Somehow that there's a power other than some, some people out there. They seek advanced equipment. They start coming saying, hey, hey, what does it take to be able to do that? What does it take to be able to get my own car? Be able to drive? What does it take to be able to get my own place? That's what young adults spiritually do as well. And then lastly, I'm going to call it kingdom parents. This is intentional reproduction. Now, some of you did not have the privilege of intentional reproduction. It was more like, what? Okay, it was a surprise. When, when we got our family started, we waited and waited and waited and waited until everything was just right. We actually got to be intentional. We are starting a family. There's nothing more fun than intentional reproduction. Pretty fun. That's what spiritual parents do. They don't just hope, well, maybe, I hope. I mean, if it happens, it happens. No, they, they begin trying to be intentional about reproducing. And that includes being trained in a process. They know how it works. Maybe they're apprenticed. And then they're actually released to do this. So many churches cross their fingers and just hope, well, I hope somebody gets it and just kind of does it on their own. And yet we don't do that even with adults. Now, if you were to put all of that together in a diagram, it might look like this. And uh, you can't read any of that. But I've mentioned most of what's up there. But I want you to see that there's actually kind of a process where you start at one end as a seeker, and you're actually beginning to move through this developmental process. And you can kind of see that there's four quadrants there. What you're going to be really surprised to find out is that the next slide, those four quadrants actually line up with what our values are. You see, what do you do with seekers and infants? It's really this process of gathering sharing the gospel, bringing them in. Children need to connect with others and build relationships. And we call that connecting. You know, adults have to grow in all those areas we discussed. And then the blessing is when people turn around and actually take what they've got to be a blessing to others. This is what we do as a church. That's what Paul was telling Corinth. This is what he expected from them. But instead of being transformed, instead of being changed, and instead of growing, they were clinging to worldly values. They'd come to church, but they would say, hey, you've got to look after number one. Or go for all the gusto. There's a ministry fair. Where are you going to serve? Oh, I don't know. I, I'm trying to figure out which, which one I'll enjoy most. What? Well, where were you in church this week? Oh, I didn't go this week because Nick was preaching. <laughs> <laughs> I only go when Pastor Mike preaches. Because he brings it. Like, well, I, I wasn't scheduled to serve that week. This church was so caught up in doing everything, many right things, all for the wrong reasons. They wanted to get credit. I can serve around here forever. I don't think anybody seems to appreciate it. Now, shame on us. We, I, hope, I hope you feel appreciated if you serve, but our goal is that you realize that it's Jesus you serve. 
They didn't give up. And what's really interesting about their failures, guys, is that what Paul discusses is that most of their failures, you and I tend to think about our personal failures. The stuff that happens when it's when nobody's looking, the things that nobody knows about. But you know what Paul's addressing? The stuff that happened when they were together. Now don't get me wrong, later he's going to talk about some things that are going on behind the scenes. But now he's just saying, this happens when you're together. That you bite and scratch and kick or ignore each other. He says in verse 4, For when one says, I follow Paul and I follow Paulus, aren't you just mere humans? Their behavior toward each other is where this was showing up. So as we close, remember at the beginning when Paul shared, he talked about being blameless on the day of judgment. And, and we said that, that that promise has both a, a piece of comfort and a piece of warning. Well, actually, I think everything that Paul has said to us this morning is the same way. There's a piece of comfort and a piece of warning. I think the comfort that Paul would want to share with the believers in Corinth and with you, the comfort goes to those who are struggling saints, spiritually stumbling along, three steps forward, two steps back, What's wrong with me? Doggone that I never get it right. And you just and you feel that kind of tension. You want to please Jesus and you just you're a mess. Which is why you come to crossroads. Because we're all like that. And what he would say to you is, hey, it's still in process. The work that he began, he will finish. Don't give up. We all struggle. Be comforted. God is for you. He's going to finish this. But there's also a warning. And what he says is, for those who are tempted to say, hey, I know I'm going to heaven. I mean, I know everything's cool there. The rest, whatever. Those who are more concerned about promoting themselves in their Christian life than others. More, well, I just don't feel like I'm being fed. I'm not being served. I just don't feel, rather than serving and feeding others. When that's the focus, what he would say is, I want you to be careful. Because under all that Christian fa-la-la-la-la, you can still be wearing diapers. And hear this clearly. Everyone struggles. But no healthy Christian stays a baby forever. Is it, well, uh, uh, hey, now let's just get this straight, Mike. I mean, you know, I mean, Jesus died for me and I believe, so I'm locked. I'm good to go. Okay, hey, good for you. All I'm going to tell you is no healthy Christian stays a baby forever. That's the warning. That's the encouragement. You know, um, parents try to keep their kids safe, right? You can either build fences, little electric fences, or give them some collars. Or, but no, most of us can't do that. So what do we do to keep our kids safe? You, you, I don't want them to get hurt running in the road. So you can either move to the country where there aren't roads. Or you say to your kid, look at me, look at me, do not go on the road. Look at me, do not go on the road. Do not, did you go on the road? Do not go on the road. Eyes on eyes, do not go on the road. That's what we say. And guess what? Even though we're sick of it when we're kids, we're alive. Because the constant exhortation to not go in the road 
works. Paul is our spiritual father. And he's saying, stop going to the world. Stop going to the world. Don't go to the world. If you go to the world, you're going to get hurt. Did you get hurt? Were you in the world? That's why I say, don't go to the world. You're going to get hurt. <laughs> Can't you hear the love of the Holy Spirit saying, seriously? Get out of the world? You don't belong in the world. You're not of the world. Get out of the world. And so I say to you, get out of the world. Let's pray. See, eyes bowed, eyes closed. Let's just take care of business. It's one thing when a parent grabs her cheeks and says, stay out of the road. It's another thing when we walk away and say, you know what? i got to stay out of the road. If you're here today and you need to make that decision, then I want to give you a chance to do that. Spirit of God, you're speaking to me today. I've been struggling, and I struggle because I keep going back in the road. Please help me. Change me. I'm tired of being an infant. Help me grow. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, today's the day. He offers eternal life as a free gift, and He wants you to be part of the family of God. He made the payment, giving it free to you. You receive it by faith. Today's the day. Lord Jesus, thank you for the Apostle Paul and what he's writing to this church in Corinth. They were a beautiful mess, but then so are we. But we hear your loving exhortation. Come out of the world. Don't go there. It hurts you. Come back. And all of those exhortations, we believe they work. And so help us. Wherever we are in that process of development, some of us are just infants. And some of us are children, learning what children have to learn. And some of us have moved toward being young adults and developing the character and the integrity of the things that happen inside us. And some of us can be and should be intentional kingdom parents, reproducing on purpose. But all of us are somewhere. Help us to know where we are and what the next step looks like. Because we don't want to be mere people. We don't want to be fleshly. We don't want to be babies. We want to be disciples. So we just ask you to make it so. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.